a seat. You can talk to one another afterwards. How many of you realized this morning how desperately you needed the words when the projection wasn't working well? And all of a sudden you realized, I don't know these songs. I was making up a bunch of my own words. I don't know about you guys. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if they actually were as good as the songs, actual words, but they helped me get through and I was at least humming. Uh, so, and how many of you found yourself wanting to turn around and stare at the projection people and just say, come on, get it up there. Poor Donovan, he slid down in his chair so that no one could see him anymore. Um, uh, how many of you have ever had the experience of uh, maybe, maybe you're on your way from your car in the parking lot into Walmart and you pass somebody that you know and they say, hey, how you doing? and you turn to respond to them, and they've kept walking. Has that ever happened to you? I, I know you never have done that, of course, but I mean, somebody has done it to you. Or maybe it's like this. Have you ever had somebody know that maybe you weren't feeling well, or maybe you had had some sort of procedure or sickness going on, whatever it was, something physical, and they stop and they ask you how you're doing, and almost before you can get a word out, they're telling you about their stuff how they've had the same thing you've had except for worse. Well, I want to suggest to you that unlike us, who most often use our greetings, or they used to be called salutations, instead of using them as mere fluff that either means nothing or it opens the door for you to talk about yourself, when the Bible actually uses salutations, they actually mean something because every word Every phrase in the Bible is breathed upon by God's Spirit. It's inspired by Him. Everything matters. Everything counts. So with that in mind, would you stand with me as we read together the first couple of verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Can you put that up there, Donovan? Or do we not have... Oh, there we are. Good man. I didn't know for sure if we'd even have any projection today. Uh, so, would you read aloud with me as we read this together? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, would you do me a favor? And I was with a brother in the Lord the other night. We went to a concert. And he told me that whenever the preacher asks you to do something, especially like repeat something or do something, everything in you rises up to say, not me, you can't tell me what to do. So I know that. I know I have no control over you. I have no power over you. But I'm asking you to just participate as a good little Christian. Okay? Would you take your hands and put them on your head? Right here. I know. I know some of you had your Bible. Put your Bible there. Yep. Yeah, this isn't Simon, though. Put your hands on your head. Close your eyes. Father, right now, I'm asking you sincerely, beyond the awkwardness of what I've just asked people to do, I'm asking you to open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word and let it be more than just words. Let it be life to our souls today. Lord, I don't want this to be just be me giving the things that I've studied and prepared. Lord, if your word doesn't come forth, then this is just at best drivel. And we're asking for life-changing, life 
impacting words. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul makes it clear, if you look at the screen, Paul makes it clear who the recipients are. Who are the recipients of this letter? Who's it say? To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to remind you of is that Paul is writing to Christians, to believers. And one of the things I want you to get, and I often hear this in churches, and it sometimes boggles my mind. I'm not sure what people are thinking. But here's my point. You can't impose Christian ideology, Christian approach, Christian everything. You can't impose them upon the world that doesn't know Christ. So that when I hear people in the world talking like people in the world, that shouldn't surprise you. Because they're people in the world. That's their world system. That's how they think. Uh, we were playing a couple of games last night. One of them was called, um, oh, it slips my mind. No. Family Feud, thank you. Family Feud. And like some of the questions that were being asked were amazing because of the answers that were given. Like, what thing do you care more about than anything else in life? And people are saying, your spouse. People are saying your children. And some of those answers weren't even up there. And then the number one answer was, can you guess what it was? Money. Money above your kids, above your marriage. But that's the world talking. So don't be shocked when the world thinks and acts like the world. Now, I go and I meet with guys, I talk with guys that aren't Christians, that aren't believers, and they sometimes use um, language that is... Uh, Maybe a little bit seedy. You, you understand what I mean, right? They're not words that I would choose to use. I know what those words are. I've heard those words throughout my life, but I choose not to use them because I believe that God by His Spirit is actually working in my soul so that no unwholesome word would proceed out of my mouth, but such as is good for necessary edification to those who hear it. So I don't want to use that kind of language. I purpose to not use it. But when they use it, and sometimes they, they'll use it and they say, oh, I'm so sorry, Pastor, I'm so sorry. It doesn't bother me that you choose to use language that is part of your repertoire. But I recognize I'm dealing with people in the world. I'm not dealing with believers. Here, Paul is writing to Christians at a specific place called Ephesus. And these are normal Christians from a normal church. These are not like super Christians. These are not pastors or even leaders specifically. These are just normal Christians. And he calls them by three names. He calls them saints, faithful, and in Christ. And what I want to do this morning briefly is I want to talk about those three kind of terms, those three descriptors of believers or of Christians, and I want to do it in reverse order because the grammar of the text kind of determines that for me. So the first thing I want to talk about and I want you to really get is that believers, in order to be Christians, and if you're going to call yourself a Christian, the first prerequisite has to be that you are in Christ. I want to pause and I want you to think about that. If you call yourself a Christian and you're not in Christ, you're not a Christian. You're not, I don't care if you said the sinner's prayer. I don't care if you come to church every Sunday. I don't care if you give money in the offering or if you teach Sunday school down in Family Life Church, Children's Church. I don't care about that. 
I mean, I appreciate that you want to do it. I appreciate you serve. But in order for you to be a believer, a Christian, you must first be in Christ. And whether you realize it or not, there was a point in time when you were not. I don't care if you were raised in a Christian home. And as long as you can remember, you were a Christian. But the truth is, there was a point in time when every single one of us weren't in Christ. We were in Adam. Every one of us can trace our family lineage back to Adam. If you went far enough back, our great, 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 grandfather was Adam. And you were in Adam, just like you were in your parents. If your parents hadn't gotten together, you wouldn't be around. You were in your parents. And if you follow that back, you were in your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And ultimately, follow it far enough back, you were in Adam. Paul, actually in 1 Corinthians 15, calls him the first Adam. Because then, hopefully, my prayer is that there came a day when you encountered a man by the name of Jesus Christ. You put your faith and your trust in Him. And Paul calls him, in 1 Corinthians 15-25, the last Adam. You put your trust into Him. See, Christianity isn't about doing good. It's not even specifically about being able to recite creeds or doctrines or being able to memorize and recite verses. Christianity is first and foremost about being in Christ. So don't say because you grew up in a Christian home, I'm a Christian. Don't say because you come to Family Life Church, you're a Christian. No, the only way you are a Christian, first and foremost, is that you're in Christ. So I want you to take a moment, if you would. Just bow your heads, if you would. I won't speak super long today, but I do want you to get this. I want you to understand. You must be in Christ. In Christ. Grafted into Him in order to be a believer in Christ Jesus. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. So kind of do like a self-audit right now. Are you in Christ today? I'm not asking if you've read your Bible. I'm asking if you're in Him. If you're in Him, Paul says you're seated with Him in heavenly places. Your place in the family, I want you to hear this, and this goes along with the worship and the word that was given. Your place in the family is established once and for all once you're in Him. It's not based upon your performance. It's based upon His. So just ask yourself, are you in Him today? I'm not asking if you said the sinner's prayer once 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm asking, are you in Him today? Okay, you can open your eyes. Paul takes it a step further here in our text and he addresses the letter to the faithful in Christ. To the faithful. How, how would you determine? How, let me ask you this way. How, how would you define the word faithful? Give me a definition. Committed? What else? If, if I say you're a faithful friend, what do I mean? Consistent, loyal, true. 
All of those are good. They, they basically mean loyal, trustworthy, uh, true-hearted. All of those things are true. And that is a part of that word. But the word that Paul uses here in the original language, which is Greek, actually also carries another connotation that's very important. Do you remember the account in the Scripture when Jesus had died and already rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples? There was one person missing. Do you remember who that was? Thomas. Thomas was missing. And do you remember what Thomas said to the other disciples when they gave account of Jesus coming to miss? Remember what Thomas said? What did he say? He said, unless I see him, unless I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands and in his side and his feet, I won't believe. Well, about a week later, Jesus shows up on the scene and shows himself to Thomas and says, Thomas, go ahead, stick your fingers in there. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says this back to Thomas. He says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Interesting. The word that he uses there for believe is the exact same Greek word as faithful. In other words, Paul is saying to us, being a Christian isn't just being a nice person. It's not being a moral person. It's not being a member of the church. Being a Christian means you must believe certain things. And it's not even enough to believe certain things. You must act upon that which you believe. Being a Christian means that you believe things, and because you believe in them, you live and act based upon those beliefs. In other words, your feet, your life matches your words or what you say you believe. And that's what Paul is challenging. That's what it means to be faithful. But it goes even further than that because that's like the verb form of that word. The noun form of the word is the entire body of those beliefs and how they impact your life. Uh, it, it's called the faith. L listen to these scriptures. Th there are some things you just must believe and hold fast to, even though the world and even though some churches are telling us those are old-fashioned ideas and are no longer true. I, have you seen that in the world, by the way? Things that we used to hold as fact now are under question and they're saying it's no longer applicable to us because we've changed, we've grown, we've outgrown some of those things. Listen to these words that Paul uses throughout uh, his writings. 1 Corinthians 16.33, or 16.13 rather. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be strong, test yourself. Colossians 2.6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a body of things that you have to hold to if you're going to be able to say you're a believer and faithful in Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. And finally, Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly 
for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, in order to be a Christian, you must have first heard some things about Jesus. You must have heard about His goodness and His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His salvation. And you not only heard those things, you believed them, which is the body of our faith, and then you acted upon them. In fact, Paul puts it this way. He says in Ephesians 4.14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine. We need to be established or grounded in the faith. We are the faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, let me just put it this way. In this day and age in which it seems like everything is up for grabs, there are some things that are non-negotiables. And I hope it's that way for you. Because there will be people who will challenge it. I, our culture is challenging it right now in major ways. The churches around the land are challenging it in major ways. But I believe Jesus Christ is still the Son of the living God. I believe that. That will never change. It is non-negotiable. I believe that this book doesn't just contain the Word of God because if you say it contains the Word of God, you can pick and choose what you like and discard the rest. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. He took his Bible and he cut out every portion he didn't like and left it together. And it's called the Jefferson Bible and it's in the museum to this day. No, I believe this is the very Word of God. I believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If He doesn't dwell in us, then there's no quickening of our mortal flesh, according to Romans chapter 8. There has to be something that works inside of us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is better at changing me and changing you than anything that I could do in my own strength. He is changing my life. And I believe that God the Father is for me and He's not against me. And when I come up against situations or circumstances or things that are being said that seem to contradict those unassailable truths, I know that that means my view of it, my perspective, it's wrong. Because those are truths no matter what. If you're going to be faithful in Christ, you have to hold to certain things. There has to be certain things that cannot be dissuaded from your mind and from your heart. So we're in Christ. And we're faithfully holding certain truths that will stand forever. Things change. Society changes. But God's Word never changes. God hasn't been caught by surprise by anything that's going on in this world. He's always been upon the throne. Always God Most High. And then finally, Paul writes to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. For most of us, the word saint is kind of a weird word, uh, especially if you grew up perhaps in a more of a denominational tradition. Saints were like these uh, plaster of Paris icons that often sat in little niches in the wall. And, and that's all you knew about saints. You knew that they were supposedly special people in the past, but they were all dead. People like um, St. Peter or St. Thomas or St. Teresa, people who were well-known Christians who did special things received the level of sainthood. And so that's how most often we looked at them. But this word that Paul uses here occurs 219 times in the New Testament. 219 times. 14 of those times are here in Ephesians. And a good portion of the time, that word in the Greek is translated saint. But the vast majority of the time, it is translated holy. And holy means to be set apart. To be uh, uh, special, called unto Him separated unto Him. 
And that's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about some kind of special, highfalutin, super-Christian. He's talking about normal people like you and me who are set apart for his purposes. Paul is making it clear that all Christians, all people who are in Christ, are saints. You cannot be a Christian and not be a saint. In fact, Paul says this way in 2 Corinthians 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. And here he's kind of making this picture of this huge edifice, like a cathedral that has a foundation. And he's saying God has a foundation upon which everything rests. And that foundation, it says, has two inscriptions. First, it says, the Lord knows those who are His. That's salvation, and that's adoption. And then the second inscription is, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's separation and holiness. To be a Christian by definition means that you are now possessed by the presence of the living God, and though you are still in the world, you're not of the world system. You, you live here. But this is, you know, like people talk a lot about citizenship today. And, I, and again, I, I honor the fact that most of us who are in this room probably are U.S. citizens. And I'm grateful for our history. I'm grateful for our tradition and what has been planted in this nation. But you are first and foremost, if you're a Christian, you are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. The place where God reigns. That supersedes all other national rights. It supersedes everything else. Everything else can go. To be a citizen of the kingdom trumps everything. Paul says this in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Don't be conformed to this world system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. As the old song used to say years ago, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that's you. If you are a believer, you are a saint, which means that you are set apart for God, for His holy purposes. God has a purpose for every life in this room. He has a purpose for you. Maybe it's not to be a pastor or an apostle. Maybe it's not to be a prophet. But maybe God still wants to use you. In fact, it's not a maybe. God does still want to to use you. We live here, our citizen, though, is in another kingdom, the place where God reigns. To be a Christian is more than just reciting the sinner's prayer. We we recognize it's an encounter with God. And I've said this to you guys often. If all you did was come forward and say the sinner's prayer, and you go and you continue to live the same old way, I don't know that you have ever met God. Because ultimately, to be a Christian means you have encountered Him. You've run head-on into Him, and your life has been changed forever. In fact, Paul's experience on the road to Damascus is a good example of what it means to be a Christian. I don't mean it has to be dramatic. I just mean there has to be a collision. I ran head-first into God. I heard stuff about God, and I believed it. And I encountered Him as He encountered me. Uh, there's a, an essential difference in my DNA now, because I've met God. Uh, there's a uh, kind of a, a movie or a film series that's out now called The Chosen. I don't know if any of you have ever seen any of those episodes. But there's one portion, and I think it's in the first episode. I'm not sure, but I think it is. And Mary Magdalene is being confronted by one of the religious leaders by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus had known Mary Magdalene when she 
was a sinner through and through. She was possessed by demons. And he had come to pray for her to no effect. But then he meets her on the street and realizes it's her and that something has happened. So he's questioning her. And her response is simply this. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And so my question to you today is, have you encountered him? I mean, Paul is trying to talk to us about our identity. Remember, I said the first three chapters deal with our identity in him. Me in him. Have you encountered Jesus? Not did you just go to church or become a deacon or a whatever position you held? Have you encountered God? Not even enough to just believe it, but do you act and live upon that which you believe about Him, that which you have heard about Him? Paul says in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the powers of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son He loved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Saints are people who have entered into a relationship with God by the power of God's own grace, not by their own power. Every single one of you sitting in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are in Christ, by definition, Paul says, you're a saint. You're included. In other words, you're not excluded because you're not as good as somebody else. Every single one of you are. In fact, why don't you do this for me, if you would? And I know for some of you it's going to feel awkward. But if you recognize today that you are in Christ, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you believe God's Word through Paul that says you are therefore by definition a saint. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Say, I'm a saint. I am. I don't always live perfectly. I might not be the same as everybody else, but I am a saint of God. Now, now take it one step farther. Would you stand? Stand right where you are. Nothing you can do, whether good or bad, can cause God to love you anymore. Because God is love. And nothing you can do, good or bad, can cause God to love you any less. He only has one way, all out. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and shake their hand and introduce yourself and say, Hi, my name is Saint and use your name. Go ahead. Welcome one saint to another. We, we've got in this room St. Gary's, St. Joshua, St. Timothy. That, that's a good biblical one. We'll take that one. Welcome one another as saints in God. No one is left out, in other words. Everyone has a place in God's family. And you don't do it as a badge of pride or accomplishment. You do it as a badge of acknowledgement. This too God has done for me. He has made me His own. So my question to you today, and I want to challenge with you as you go into this week, are you in Christ? Have you been part of the faith? Not just you believe certain things, but you have accepted that body of beliefs and you have acted upon them to the point where you recognize He has separated you unto Himself. Yeah, you live here, but you're not a part of this system. You're a part of His kingdom. If you catch this, and I want you to get this, if you catch this, it will cause you to look at yourself differently. Some of you believe that you are, at best, second-class citizens of the kingdom. That you squeaked in by the skin of your teeth somehow, and that the truth is, you don't really quite fit. 
That's just not true. That's not God's heart for you or for anyone within his family. My family has grown. It started with me. And then I got married. And it's now grown to me and my wife. And then we had three children. So now it's grown to that. Then they got married. So it grew to their spouses. Then they had children and it grew to our grandchildren. My family grows. But there's not one person within the scope of my family who's not wanted. Not just accepted. Not just put up with. But wanted. Loved. Adored. Grateful that they're a part with us. And it's the same for God. No one here doesn't fit. You're all a part of it because you're a part of his family. But it causes you not only to look at yourself differently, it causes you to look at people differently. Because there is no one, no one sitting around you today, no one with whom you come in contact that God has not loved and given his life for. And that we, as members of his body, his family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know it's not popular anymore. You know, it used to be we'd say, you know, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so all the time. And then, well, that got kind of weird. But the truth is you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are family together. And one of the things I found is that you can pick your friends, but you don't pick your family. You're stuck with your family. And so you're stuck with me. Sometimes that's a good thing if I happen to act the way you want. Sometimes not so much. I was down in Florida a couple weeks ago visiting my sister and uh, I was talking to my uh, niece who sometimes doesn't, want, doesn't know whether she likes our family all that much. But I was talking to my niece and I said, you're stuck with me. We're family. There's no getting around it. We're family to our dying day. Well, we're family together because we're saints, faithful, and in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, what your word is doing last week and even today is trying to continue to cement into our heart and mind our identity and position is firmly established in you. You loved us and you gave your life for us. And Father, we don't want to just go through the motions. We want a vibrant faith that affects us day by day and affects those around us. Lord, I know that uh, this is simple truth, but so often we live our lives based upon our feelings instead of the faith. We act upon what our mind lies to us rather than the truth established in your word. So, Father, I'm asking you to cement inside of us our identity and sense of belonging in the family of God and that we belong to one another because we are baptized not only into Christ, we're baptized into his body. So, Lord, let these messages in this first chapter of Ephesians resound in our hearts that we have been saved by a good father who gave His Son for our salvation and that His Spirit dwells in us, quickening us, making us conform to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. That we belong and that we have a part, every single one of us. Bless each one, I pray. In the name of Christ, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great rest of your day.